Father, thank you so much that you're always on time, that you, uh, that your way and your, your, your desires and your plan is perfect. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to see it your way, that you would, uh, that you would tweak us this morning to understand that only one thing is necessary, that sitting at your feet and bathing in your word and in your love and in the understanding of the mercies that have been extended to us in Christ, that this, um, this ushers us into a mode of rest that our souls are desperate for. Lord, you said, come to me, all of you that are weary, and labored, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord, let us, let us know, let us understand, teach us today uh, the, deep, the deep significance of the rest that only you can give us, that you can only provide for our souls, you say so that we, might, that we might enter in and live in a mode of rest that, um, that just depicts every, every facet of our life and declares that we love you and we trust you and that our, our Prince of Peace is here, present, within. Father, I pray that you'd instruct our hearts today and teach us what it means to rest in you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I, I think it's kind of ironic, providential. Um, honestly, we, we, we will not, as Trevor and I will not take credit for the fact that this, uh, this Sunday, the Sunday that, uh, that depicts, uh, you know, as we transition from work to rest, actually fell on a Sunday where we lose uh, an hour of sleep. So how many allowed, uh, knowing that you would lose an hour of sleep, how many of you guys got to bed an hour earlier? Okay, can you guys, like, really recognize the disciplined ones among us and just, I mean... Because you guys are awesome, because that's what we should do. But how many of you would enjoy the, uh, and benefit from some rest today? Okay. Um, how, how many of you, that's the case, and, and I'm keeping my hand raised, how many of you, that's the case, um, whether you lost an hour of sleep last night or not? I mean, our culture is busy. Our culture is chaotic. So exciting, and uh, and baby Grayson's here with her, and they're getting some time of rest and reflection, and so we're so thankful that you're with us. Um, I want to share some really good news, guys. Um, whew, Bill, I don't know if I can do it. Um, Frida had a PET scan, and uh, and there's no there's no there's no cancer in her breasts. Um, there's uh, there's this little what did I said a millimeter. 10 millimeters, I, I, I'm not metric, but 10 millimeters in her liver, and that's it. That's it. And this was someone that was laden with, 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 uh, with cancer throughout her body and then went through a very arduous you know, kidney failure, um, nerves, pinched nerve, all kinds of things. And we're just, and she took her first steps. So, I mean, on the other side of nine months in the bed... So, guys, praise the Lord, right? Just praise the Lord. I'm so thankful because I know many of you have just been passionately praying for that. Uh, and we're so thankful. John, it's good to see you without your patch today. Praise God for that. You know, and God seeing you through that. And, uh, and then I have one more thing that I just want to, uh, to just celebrate. Um, and it's hard to celebrate this because this comes with a heavy heart. Um, but today is, uh, is Peter's last day with us. I know, it just breaks my heart. I just found out this morning, but the good news is, uh, Peter is the one that always says, Peter drives from Crystal River. So it's like an hour and 45 minutes. 
Um, and he always says, a church alive is worth the drive. You know, so I, I love, I love his sentiment and I love his commitment. He's such an example to us, but, um, he doesn't get to share this time, though he gets to do it with his mama, which we love. Um, he, he doesn't get to do it with his wife because of the implications of home. And so now they've found a church plant. Uh, up there in Crystal River that the Lord has led them to, and they're going to be able to worship together uh, up there, and um, and he really f- senses the Lord's leading in this. So I've told him like six times, uh, we are your forever family, forever and ever and ever family, and we love you dearly, and you have been such a gift to us, and uh, we're so thankful for you. So we don't see this as leaving, we see this as being sent out. Um, and we know that uh, God's going to do great things with you, in you, through you, and uh, and we're so thankful for you. So um, let's just praise God for Peter. Um, and we love Peter so much. So. Okay, now, what is rest? Because I think a lot of times we get lost in semantics. Um, we're looking for things in all the wrong places. We're expecting things to give us stuff that it, it's, it's not, it can't. It, it falls short. And, and, we, and then on the other side, we underestimate the ability of God to meet our greatest needs in our life. We don't understand that God's desire is to fill us with joy. Jesus said in John 15 11, he says that my joy may be in you and your joy to the fullest complete I mean, God, God wants us to experience peace that passes all understanding to guard our hearts and minds. Hearts and minds. And so, like, this is what God wants for us. He, he wants us to experience the Prince of Peace. He wants us to know the rest that He has purchased for us at the cross. And that rest is, is, is this. It's, it's Him giving us a sweet sense of contentment, an overwhelming sense of he's here, he's present, and he brings all of his resources with him into the, to the occasions, the circumstances, the troubles and trials of our life. God is present. God is here. He says that. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus said in, in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, he says, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus even said this, I got to go. This is what he said to his disciples. And it's better for you that I do. Because the counselor will come. The helper will come. See, God wants to abide in us. And with that, with, with his presence comes love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But there comes this deep sense of rest. Because he's present. Because he's here. What do we have to worry about? Jesus, and, and write this down because we won't get a chance this week to get into this, but Matthew chapter 6 uh, in, in starting in verse 25, Jesus gets into this whole piece on worry and how, I believe Jesus points this out because he knows how debilitating it is for us. He knows how it, it declares that we don't trust God, how it declares that this is bigger than him. And at the, at the, at the bottom of this discourse where he, he tells us we're more precious than the birds and the grass and how God takes care of those things, He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you worry about will be added to you as well. And so God wants us to display a great sense of peace and assurance as he continues to bolster our faith through his faithfulness to us. 
and show us that he is our rest. But as a culture, what is rest? What do we think rest is? Is it the result of sleep or a Sunday afternoon nap? Is that what rest is? Now, I want to take a quick second and mention this. I I believe, personally, uh, many of you are familiar with Elijah the prophet. He had a mountaintop experience, literally, at Carmel, where 450 prophets of Baal were 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 destroyed and and uh, and God did miraculous things and showed Himself as the consuming fire and but He came away from this experience obviously incredibly drained and He finds out that the that the king's wife Jezebel is is going to take wants to kill him and so He runs off and He finds a broom bush and He sits under it and He basically says. I'm done. I'm the only one left. Everybody else has left you, God. I'm it. Okay? God reminds him later that he's preserved 4,000. But he, you ever been there where you feel like, I'm all alone here? You know, I'm the only one that's trying here. You know, he's sitting under a broom bush. He's exhausted. He's tired. And all he's saying is, you know, I'm done. I'm finished. I, I would prefer to just go home if that's okay with you. He wanted the fiery chariot to leave early. Right? And so um, he's sitting there, he's complaining, and, and how does God minister to him? But he, he, it, he helps him to sleep. And he sleeps for a significant period of time, and then he, 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 he summons creation to feed him. So I want to I put, put a disclaimer here that, yes, sleep is essential. It's necessary. I actually think that it's the component that God has given us to, to, to give us an indicator of what rest could be, but it's only superficial. It's not the profound rest that God wants to give us when we acknowledge his presence by faith and he enters into our moments and we just have this overwhelming sense of, ah, he's here, the king is here, my God is here, my savior has arrived. So what is rest? Is it what we do on vacation? Or moms, is it a bubble bath with no interruptions? And some of you dads are going, I like that too, by the way. (laughs) Is it vegging out in front of the TV or at a movie? Is it going to Disney World or Islands of Adventure or Bush Gardens? I mean, I've got to cover the bases. Is it partying with friends or maybe without? Is it some form of escape? Because... That's not the biblical view of rest. These are all counterfeits. These are all, with the exception of sleep, these are, these are all extremely superficial. And they'll always leave us wanting, thinking that if we run to this event, if we run to this, this binging in front of the television, that this is going to give me some sense of rest. Although these offer temporary value, they fall well short of this pinnacle, this, this ideal rest that the Lord has for us. So one of the words or concepts we hear advertisers use on a regular basis is recharge, because our culture is so worn out and stressed out. Would you agree with that? Okay, so my question is, what happens to a cell phone when we don't, when it, when it doesn't get a charge? I don't know about yours, but like when it gets to that 5% mark after it's beeped at me several times, um, it just, you know, the light goes dim. It doesn't operate very well. 
Um, it just uh, it decides it's not going to function at its optimal potential. Well, what parents? What what happens to children when they don't get their rest? You want to help me here because I don't have kids. So so like what happens? <laughs> Whining, grumpy, melt down. Okay, what's that? That's that crazy. <laughs> That's the parents. <laughs> okay, we, we, we get grumpy, we get cynical. Uh, oh yeah, we're supposed to be talking about kids, right? But, but isn't this us too? What happens to us when we're not rested? Is we tend to be negative, we tend to be cynical, we tend to be grumpy. Man, does it, does it make it very difficult to be a, a vibrant, radiant, you know, witness for Christ when we're tired? Do you think this is a state that God wants us to be in? God has provided rest in Christ. But there's also disciplines that the Spirit leads us to. I want to give you an example. Jesus said to his disciples, says, come with me to a quiet place and rest. Like Jesus led his disciples, his followers, into moments of solitude, into moments of quiet. A lot of those times were, you know, getting across the water to get to the other side and here we go again, you know. But even Jesus modeled listening to the Father, following the Spirit, and he would go into these times of solitude. Now, I want to tell you there's a vast difference, almost opposite ends of the spectrum of isolation and solitude. And, and the missing ingredient from, from isolation is, is the Lord. Like, solitude is a time where we spend intimate time in community with the Lord in an intimate place. Do you have that place? Do you have the chair? That this is where I meet with the Lord. Charles Stanley just talked about his chair and had all these testimonies about my chair. Do you have a place where you go and meet the Lord? In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. And I believe Jesus exemplified characteristics and disciplines that were for us. And so... We see the necessity of these things. But when we're not rested, we are, we are contemptuous. Maybe I shouldn't talk about you or us. I should say me. I, I get negative in my thinking. I, I have to be careful to keep my mouth shut. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little edgy. I mean, anybody relate? Do we have the tendency to share our restlessness with others? And especially with our loved ones in this moment? I think we do, and it's unfortunate. But I want to talk about some real practical things today that helps us to navigate through this, these, these charted waters and, um, and to find some disciplines, some cor- corrective resources that might help us to, uh, to live a more balanced life. Desperate for the Spirit's help in this. Okay, Matthew 11 28 through 30. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab those, open them up. We're going to spend a few moments here just talking about this. So these are the words of Jesus. If you have red letters, you're going to see this is a red letter moment. Um, and he says here, come to me. This, this is the heart. This is the heart of Christ. Come to me. Come, come and benefit from who I am. I mean, he's the great giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus came to rescue, to come and save that which was lost. He came to impart himself, to pour himself out, to share his holiness, his righteousness with us. 
So Jesus, Jesus says, come to me. Why? Not because he wants something from us. Jesus says, come to me because I, I have something for you. And so he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Ever been there? Uh, are, you, are you there now? I mean, sometimes this becomes, you know, uh, the default of our life. Something that we just are constantly trying to navigate away from. Um, and, and so he's talking to a very broad audience here. And he says, come to me. And he says this, and I will give you rest. Now, if, if, uh, if someone's going to give you something, they've got to have it, right? And, and when it comes to God, he, he's got it. You know, he's, and he's really got it. You know, and it's something that we're so incredibly desperate for because Jesus said, in this life you will have troubles. So this life is going to be laden with hardships. It's, it's, it is the default. It is, but, but we don't have to be overcome by them. We don't have to wander in and out of a state of rest. And, and if you're me, you're, you know, I'm going, how do, I mean, what does it look like to, to just rest in him, trust in him in such a significant way that he gets precedence? He gets, he gets, he, he gets to be God every time because nothing in our life gets more focus or attention or, or gets more of a, a, a um, a place in our life than he does. Because we, we understand that he's bigger than every problem that we'll ever face. There's no giants in comparison to God. And so he says, come to me. Why? Because I know your state. I know your circumstances. I, and, and it's not that he's saying, so I can take your circumstances away. It's so, it's so important we get that. It's rest despite our circumstances. It's rest in our circumstances. Come to me and I will give you a commodity that this world cannot offer. Now, I believe that rest is very tied to peace. You know, in, in, um, when we look at this, Philippians 4, uh, 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God that passes all, like the peace of God that makes no sense, that doesn't, like we can't compute. It, 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 it's unrational. It's, it's not logical, but this peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and minds. You know, God's, Jesus is not promising to take away the storm. He's, he's look, this is the Jesus that in, in the midst of a storm where the disciples, the very, fi- you know, there's fishermen in this group that have seen storms on the, on the Sea of Galilee. They know what their potential are. And they come to Jesus. They're on the boat, which they spent some time doing that. They're on the boat, and there's a storm that's in full bloom, and, and they come up to Jesus, who, by the way, is sleeping on a cushion in the stern of the boat. Sleeping. And say, don't you care? He gets this a lot, by the way. Don't you care? Yeah, a lot. Don't you care that, what? That we're all about to die. Now, if that's, if that's kind of the, the, the status of this particular storm, and these guys know what they're talking about, how is Jesus sleeping on the storm of the boat on a cushion? How's he sleeping? Because he's resting in the Father. And he's being an example to us that 
it's, you know, that oftentimes it's not that he wants to calm the storm. He wants to calm us in the storm. He wants to give us peace that makes no sense. Because let, let me ask you, do you think that's a witness to those around us when we have genuine, authentic peace in the midst of something that looks overwhelming and that, that others would respond differently? It's a massive testimony. And God wants to rain down, the Prince of Peace wants to rain down peace and rest into our lives so that we trust in Him and experience the joy of going, "Ah, my daddy's here. He's here. He's present. I don't have anything to fret over or worry about. Come what may, God is good and He's faithful. And he's made provision of lo- for life beyond death. Um, amazing statement. Come to me and I will give you rest. He says this in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Now, for us, we don't really get that. You know, for some of us, we've kind of got the picture of, a, of a, you know, an, an oxen or two oxen inside of a yoke, which is the, the wooden structure that would hold the oxen. And one is, you know, in this, in this illustration, once Jesus, we're the other one. We're kind of the the smaller component in this, in this partnership. Um, and, uh, but it's bigger than that. And, and, and it is that. I mean, he's the, he's the, he's the one that's doing the heavy lifting here. He's the one that's leading and guiding and providing and, and strengthening all of that. I mean, if I'm going to be in a yoke doing something, I want to be with him. You know what I mean? That, that's, that's an ideal scenario. But for a, for a first century rabbi, the yoke was their personal teaching. And Jesus said to us in Matthew 28, 18 to 19, he said, um, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he said this, And teaching them everything that I have commanded you. Because that's what disciples do for their disciples. And so that would be their yoke. They put their yoke upon you, their teaching. And how we you know, get greater clarity on that. It says, take my yoke upon, upon you, take my teachings upon you, and learn from me. See, Jesus said things that were pretty profound, like, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. If your righteousness doesn't surpass that of the Pharisees, which would have been like, what? You know, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy, or as I am holy. You know, the, these are pretty lofty statements, to say the least. They're, they're impossible but Jesus went on to say, what's impossible for man, all things are possible with God. And so what he is saying here is, is take my teaching upon you and learn from me. And then wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be awesome that we have a teacher, ideally, and we have teachers among us, Jesus saying that I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart. Like that's the ideal teacher that is patient and gentle, and lacks pride and ego and arrogance in their desire to see their student or their disciple come to know. And he says, and you will find rest for your souls. What is he saying here? Share my teachings. Like, take them in. And and what he's saying is is that I'm going to do the heavy lifting here. I'm going to accomplish... Because what he does, what he what he's done is he's put us his spirit in us in order to not only give us the how to but also the want to and the when to. 
Keep in step with the Spirit. He goes on to say, for my yoke is easy. Now, can you imagine the disciples' response to that? I mean, they were confused for most of their that time, you know. But for they knew what his yoke was, what his teachings were. He said, my teachings are easy. I mean, I see them muttering, <laughs> what? And he says, my burdens are light. Look, the reason Jesus could say that is because everything he was asking, like, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Who was going to be perfect in this equation so that we would experience his righteousness? He was. And so the reason Jesus would say that to us, because in this yoked relationship with him, he is going to do it. In, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it says, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And so here's, here's the big part of the rest piece here that Jesus is talking about is, is resting, trusting, knowing that God is going to do what he's promised to do and that ushers us into a mode of, does, does it make sense? Like he's going to be perfect for you. Right? I mean, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why the New Testament really teaches this, that we don't work to rest. The New Testament teaches we rest in Him and work out of our restfulness. He does the work. He does, he does the perfection so that we get to experience the justification of being made right with the God of the universe, ushered into His presence. And, and here's what He wants for us. He wants us to rest in that. And there, there is rest in that. When we come to the place where we go, you know what? It doesn't depend on me. My salvation, God's love for me doesn't depend on how good I am. His, his pleasing, like, he's, this is the hardest one for me to accept. But this is my son and my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you know if we're in Christ that he's pleased with us? That just messes with us. But the truth is, that is the rest that, that he has ushered us into. We don't have to work for it anymore. And so then you say, well, faith without deeds is dead. You know what our, you know what our work is? It's, it's, it's worship. That's what our work becomes. It becomes an expression of gratitude. It becomes, it becomes service to others with joyful hearts. And God, by his spirit, has equipped us for all of this. What do you have that you haven't been given? We've got nothing to boast in. God has done it for us in Christ. And so this is what Jesus is saying here. Come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's, it's, not, heavy, it's not heavy or burdensome. I want to give you rest in the core. I want in your soul. I want you to experience the rest that I have purchased for you. So... I believe the greatest enemy of rest in our culture is definitely, and and probably, you know, I've, many of you know I've been going through probably a difficult season of health, and uh, and it's allowed me to kind of really, in retrospect, kind of analyze my my life. Uh, I'm very I'm very I'm very much an introspective type person, so I've been reading a lot of stuff on 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 rest and busyness, and and one of the things that I'm you know, and I'm sure many of you can attest, as we get older. Uh, there, there becomes limitations. These earthly tents start to to do funny things, you know, and uh, and do things when you don't want them to do it, you know, all that stuff. Hurts and pains and places you just didn't think. 
But like we have to we have to continue to evaluate our limitations in light of His great possibility and and, and expectations, and 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 He declares those things over us. But so I'm going to get real practical with us today on how we can live this balanced, disciplined Christian life. Um, have, have you heard this statement? If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Um, yeah, Chris probably heard that a lot in youth group. <laughs> but like, you know, if the devil can't make you, make, and it's bad theology. God, you know, the devil can't make you anything. But, but the truth is, you know, busyness is the enemy of intimacy. It, it really, it, it puts us in an anxious state. We're not in a relational context with people. And so we're going to talk a little bit about business. How do we know when our busyness has pushed us to our limits? How do you know when busyness has pushed you to your limits? I believe there are signs that are, I know, I know now, that there are signs that our body gives us if we're not paying attention, signs that may look different for each of us. And so we need to, we need to give grace. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give you three signs here. This is not exhaustive, but uh, I encourage you to get out a three by five card. This is going to be helpful information. It was helpful for me as I went through a litany of books in studying this material. So sign number one, an inability to control your emotions. Anyone? Anyone relate to that? You ever been there? You know, just kind of your emotions. We're going to look at a text in, in just a moment in, uh, where Martha is going to be an example for us in this. Have you ever found yourself an anxious or an angry mess? Have you ever pulled your car into the garage and just sat there in darkness, completely discouraged? Or maybe your own equation. Uh, an inability to control your emotions and constantly feeling irritable, depressed, overwhelmed are all signs that something isn't right. Out-of-control emotions often reflect an out-of-control demands that we or we allow others to put on our lives. Another sign uh, that we might look for is a lack of self-care. A lack of self-care. You ever skip a shower? Because life's a little demanding. So people who operate in overcapacity really, really have time for self-care. We often uh, justify skipping a shower because I, I, I have too much to do. Uh, we can't live the life God created you for with space to be aware of his leading if you don't take care of yourself. Often fast food becomes our diet because of this same pace. Um, and guys, I'm, I just want to say I'm boasting my weaknesses here. Like I'm just sharing the things that I struggle with and the things that, that the Lord is, is bringing to my attention that I need to, to, to look at and there'll be more. Uh, another sign is self-medicating or excess. Self-medicating or excess. When, uh, when the demands of life become too much, self-medicating is a very common response. Overeating, especially sweets and junk food. Anybody? Okay, overeating, especially uh, sweets and junk food, can be a problem. Anytime my life is out of balance, I tend to watch too much sports. I'm saying that personally. That's kind of where I tend to go, and it's an indicator for me. And I'm acknowledging that, that that's a place that I tend to, to go to when I know that I'm looking for an escape and rest. And it's not, it, 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 never, it never satisfies, ever. Self-medicating um, must also take the form of too much, can also take the form of too much exercise, escaping reality with too many uh, hours of social media, or watching a lot of television instead of getting enough sleep. 
Sometimes we can fool ourselves into thinking self-medicating is actually self-care by saying, I deserve it. But if we find that our habits are not renewing or restoring us, then we need to recognize those choices as a warning sign of busyness and a future burnout. And man, this stuff is, I'm just telling you, this is coming right out of personal experience. Um, have you noticed that as we, you know, our phones seem to me need to be upgraded every 18 months to two, two and a half years, that one of the things is our OS, our operating systems, can't seem to handle the amount of apps or the capacity of, of, of an app's capabilities. So too many apps can clutter up your phone, drain your battery, and reduce its capacity. In the same way, too many activities can clutter up your life, drain your emotional reserves, and reduce your capacity to live in God's calling. So how do we manage these things? Well, hopefully you got your three-by-five card out and you got a pen and you're ready to write this down because I'm going to build you a little list today and I'm going to give you some resources and then a challenge. Uh, wouldn't it be great if we had a battery indicator like a cell phone? Take a moment and write down a number. This should only take a second. Take a, take a moment and write down a number between 1 and 100% that represents your charge right now. Think about that. And just write down a number between 1 and 100. And I, I see all of you going, what you, what you got there? You know, like, <laughs> this is self-assessment. So like 1 and 100, write that down and, uh, and, and try to be as honest, painfully honest as possible. Okay. I'm going to use a term, editing. Uh, sometimes I've, I've called it filtering. Um, when, she, when Trevor and I do sermons, you know, and I'm, Trevor is way better at this than I am. Um, I, I tend to get a ton of, of like resources. I like, I mean, by the time I get to the editing mode, which is, you know, usually like three, two thirds of the way into my sermon preparation, you know, I've got, I've got enough material to preach for for hours and hours you guys know this so um so the editing process <laughs> the editing process is incredibly necessary and it is a skill set that i am still working hard at is what what now is because you have to filter out the good then you have to filter out the better and then you have to be left with the best that can fit within that context and it's hard. It's hard to kind of say, well, this is fantastic, you know, this. But don't we find ourselves in that same mode in life? And if you think about it, what is God trying to do? God is trying to make room for more of him. He's making us into his very image. And so in, for, for in order for the perfect to come, the imperfect has to pass away. So what, what has to happen is a, a lot of the good things in our life and even the better things in our life, you know, and, and God is so methodical and gentle and humble and grace-filled and kind in the process of making us holy or sanctifying us. And he just kind of brings these things towards, you know, to our attention and just slowly, and, and he gives us every resource to do it. And what, he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to make us holy. He's trying to us, he wants us to give ourselves up so that we can experience the fullness of who he is. And it's an editing process. So editing is finding God's best in a world of choices and a way to throw off our hindrances, to clear out the things that aren't part of God's perfect yes for our lives. 
Some of you are already experiencing right now some of your good stuff that you've, you've been struggling with maybe for years. That God is saying, I need you to let go of this. I've got something better for you. But sometimes our comfort zone you know, and our lack of faith in those moments keep us from letting go of this until this is in our hand. And though it's right here, God's saying, you got, it's, it's, so, it's so close, but we, but we have to let go to get there. So in Hebrews chapter 12, I love this passage. In verses 1 through 3, it says this. Therefore, we are, we are surrounded by, by such a great cloud of witnesses. This is describing the people that were just talked about in chapter 11. Uh, the Faith Hall of Fame. Let us throw off, throw off everything that hinders. And that's not just sin, because then he says, and the sin. Everything that hinders. I I just want to take a moment here and just ask you, are there things in your life that, they might be great things, they might be things you even enjoy, but are there things in your life that you know the Lord has been, been, been poking at? And they're hindering your development, your growth. Throw it off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The author of Hebrews, or the authors of Hebrews, is helping us to understand that God has a race marked out for us. And there are things, and you know, we're we're on the precipice of another Olympics and the track and field and all of that. But you you see these runners, man, they're looking for every ounce they can get from their shoes, from their clothing, anywhere that they can gain a half a a second. And that's the attitude that Paul's kind of speaking to here, that in the Christian life, we should run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That we should throw off everything that's hindering. Now, guys, I'm not talking about a spouse here. I, I know that sounds funny, but I'm, I'm, being, I'm being serious. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about the things that God has called us to that are hard. I, I'm talking about the things that we know are keeping us back, holding us back from God's full potential, everything that he wants for us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us, And, and then, then he gives us the key. He gives us the, the key to this. He says... Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the starter and finisher or the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one that gets this thing going and he's the one that's going to bring it to completion. He's promised us that. And, and, and the challenge here in order to run this race with perseverance, the very one marked out for you uniquely, is that we fix our eyes on Jesus. The very one that, that authors faith in our life and that will bring it to fruition, he will grow it up. Who for the joy, then, then, then the authors use this as an example, use Christ's life as an example. Who for the joy set before him, speaking of Christ, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's saying, in light of his example for us, consider him. Let him be the benchmark. Let him be the one, the brother that's, that's run before us, that, that is an example to us. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why would we be told that? Because there's great potential for us to grow weary and lose heart. And we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, what does this have to do with, with rest? Because that is the key to remaining or abiding in, in a restful state is to, to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
to stay focused on the prize. Um, I'm going to ask Jim, would you, would you read for us? Um, where's Jim? There he is. Jimbo, read, read, um, read for us uh, Philippians 3.13. You pointed out that out this morning. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, great. Here's, here's the context. Paul is talking about running this same race, this, this, this marathon with, with segments of sprinting, but it's a marathon. And he talks about his great ambition. Um, this is verse 13, chapter 3 of Philippians. So key things here, Jimbo, thank you. He says, one thing I do. Can I tell you that the Christian life is about one thing? Jesus said to Martha, one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And it's, it's keeping our eyes on Christ. Focused, laser focused on the Lord. Forgetting what's behind, straining towards what is ahead. In another passage it says, do not look to your left or your right, but set your hands to the plow. Like, don't get distracted by the winds and the waves as Peter did and found himself consumed by the very things that he was fearful of. Man, fix your eyes on Jesus. So as we continue this thought about editing, I have some, some, some ideas for you. Editing can be one of the most powerful tools to break the cycle of busyness in our lives. Here are some practical ways that you can make editing um, in your life and break busyness before busyness breaks you. So number one, be proactive instead of reactive. This is huge. This is, I remember in, in student ministry, I would always tell students, look, if, if you haven't made some, some huge commitments based on the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of God's word about, about the area of sexuality, if you haven't said, I am not going here, I draw a line here, that if you're in the throes of that, not many can do what Joseph did. Many, many, many people have lost that battle because there wasn't, there wasn't a proactive decision that was made. Here we're talking about editing in our life. Be proactive, not reactive. So a proactive edit is one we make in advance before things get out of control. A reactive edit is one we make once a crisis hits. It is a reaction to something typically gone wrong and most reactive edits are not good ones. Can we all test to that? A reactive edit results from an overcommitted schedule a lot, uh, oftentimes. Um, perhaps we say yes to too many people only to realize, um, again, boasting of my weaknesses, only to realize you aren't going to be able to fulfill your obligations. Often a proactive edit requires one done in advance, requires us to let others down. You struggle with that? I do. You know, I didn't realize how much I do until I really took a hard look at that. And when you love people deeply, as we do here, and you care for people deeply, and, and we have needs, and we have things going on in our lives, but not every, not every need is a calling for you. And you can't do it all. And, uh, I mean, I'm saying all this to myself first. Often, proactive edits require us to let others down. We have to look people in the eye when we tell them no. Um, and, and here's something that I want to say. Two things. One, we don't have to give a reason or excuse for it. Um, and two, if you're the recipient of that, 
Don't demand that of others. Respect and know. In fact, celebrate it. Thank them for being an example. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's do this as a culture. In the end, though, that initial disappointment far outweighs the resentment and half-hearted effort that ensues after we react in that edit. Number two, discover what needs editing. Discover what needs editing. And many of you right now are already getting a little poke on some things. I, I know I've got a, a lot of pokes. Um, let me ask you this. What, what are you doing in your life right now that would secretly, secretly for you be, be a relief if you stop doing it? Now, this isn't the excuse to stop doing things that, you know, that are responsibilities. But it sure gives us an opportunity to evaluate those things. If an answer popped into your mind right away, then that's a good place to start when it comes to editing. I'm not saying quit everything that you're doing that you don't enjoy. Unless God tells you to, then I would tell you to do it immediately. But for most of us, we don't have to think too hard to discover what we need to edit out of our lives. Guys, is any of this hitting home? Because for me, this, is, this has been a journey of... Um, of discovering a lot of weakness in my life, a lot of areas that um, that maybe needed to just be opened for understanding. Number three, look at areas in your life that are not fruitful from God's perspective of what fruitfulness is. Are there things in your life that you are doing, things that, that you enjoy doing, things you're good at, but if you look around, you don't see a single piece of evidence that you should be doing these things. Because there's no fruit. Identifying the areas in your life that aren't producing fruit is a great way to break busyness and make some proactive edits in your life because what you say no to determines what you will say yes to. So you have that card. I hope you still do. I encourage you to to make another um, entry. What proactive edit might God be calling you to make? What proactive edit might God be calling you to make? Oftentimes, we don't make these edits because we don't want to disappoint somebody. And Paul said, I, you know, I, am I still trying to please men or am I pleasing God? He says, he says if, if I was still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. We just can't, we can't do both. Next, our busy thinking or overactive minds. The habit of thinking about or beating ourselves up over our flaws in a deadly trap, and it's often one we fall into. Whether we are focusing on our fears or focusing on our flaws, real or imaginary, by the way, uh, we are focusing in the wrong places. When we stay focused on our flaws and weaknesses, we lose sight of the truth of God and that He is the one that is great. And He does things through flawed people like we forget that when we're trying to put the burden or responsibility on ourselves our thoughts will determine whether we live peaceful lives or whether we live in a busy rush to prove ourselves please others and strive to be or do more so how do we break our own pattern of destructive thinking so this is a and this is where i'm going to break uh, in this sermon series because we're going to pick this up next week. So make sure you bring your card back, put it in your Bible, and get ready because we we got a we got a great finish to this that helps us to understand what rest is all about and where we truly find rest. 
But in Philippians 4, we often, we often talk about 6 through 7, but I want to, I believe there's an antidote in verse 8, and it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Do not be anxious about, help me, anything. I mean, that just kind of covers the bases. But in everything, by prayer, this is what, this is what overcomes anxiety and worry is seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. It is drawing near to him. It is realizing that only one thing is necessary. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. God is saying, ask me, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Well, it goes on to say, here's the fruit of it. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, and I believe this is a key component to this, to this challenge. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, excuse me, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. And so I think a lot of times, and Jim uses the term stinking thinking. I think a lot of times, you know, we, um, or, or we use the word self-talk. A lot of times our self-talk doesn't get filtered through these eight qualifiers. Whatever's true, right, noble, or, or lovely, pure, admirable, excellent, praise. Like these, we don't filter it through those things. We don't allow the scriptures to dictate truth over the lies that we think. And so stinking thinking gets us in a place where our life starts to smell and reflect the type of thinking we have. And so one of the things that um, we need to really talk about um, is our thought life, and that's where I'm going to pick up next week. And so if you would uh, bow your heads with me as we prepare our hearts for communion today. Father, we thank you so much that you are the answer to every need that you are the rest that we're so desperate for, that you are the hope in the storm, that you are, you're so much more than we give you credit for. Help us to let you out of your box. Help us to not look to the world for the things that we're so, so in need of and so desperate for. And, and let us come to a point, Lord. Bring us to an occasion where we just fall on our knees and we just confess that you're everything that we want and more. Bring us to, to, the, to a moment, maybe even in this time of worship, where we just declare that you are our rest, that you are our life, that you are our everything. And uh, help us to fix our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Help us to set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. Help us to put our hope in you and not in doctors and other things that you use as instruments, but that you're our hope, Lord. You're our rest. You're our rock and our refuge, our ever-present help in time of need. Lord, let that be the reality of our life and not just some philosophy or theology, but let that permeate into our hearts and display itself through our lives. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.